This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emrys, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. Probably the number one topic that I hear shops talk about, that I talk about a lot, is finding qualified help. Right now, everyone seems to want to scale. They want to grow their business bigger. And usually when I talk to a lot of shops, the number one thing that is kind of hindering that is they don't know where to find people or they're trying to find people and they're not having any luck about it. So I have a really cool guest today. I'm really excited about this. Chris Lawson from technicianfind.com reached out to me and said, hey, Hunt, you know, I'd love to come on here. And I looked into it and I said, you know what? This couldn't be a more pertinent topic, right? This is exactly what we need for this industry. And, you know, like I was talking with Chris before, I dealt with a couple similar vendors that do these kinds of things that haven't had great success from my clients. And when I started talking to Chris a little bit more about it, Chris actually had been working with some of my clients and some of my longtime clients, and, and they had rave reviews for him that it's really been working. Before we get into that with Chris, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Your shop's customers pump their own gas and bag their own groceries, and most of them don't mind booking online or paying you via live chat bubble in a self-serve universe. Get up to speed at GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, the focus is on helping shop owners unlock their full potential by specializing in an expert coaching and marketing program designed for your specific shop. For more information about their programs, please visit them at RepairShopOfTomorrow.com. So just want to introduce Chris. You know, Chris can kind of tell us a little bit more about himself and then we'll kind of get into it. So there you go, Chris. Thanks, Hunt, for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I guess the story starts back when I was a financial planner. I tell people I'm a recovering financial planner. What ended up happening is I got tired of the big firms. So I left the big firms, started my own small boutique practice. And I figured out really quickly that I needed to get marketing done. So I got into social media. Uh, I was one of the first 100,000 users of the LinkedIn platform, figured out how to use Facebook, started out how to use a lot of these things and uh, grew a, a, a social media platform. Fast forward to 2017, I was asked to do a, a social media presentation for 10 shop owners, automotive shop owners. And uh, in the next six months, I got nine of those 10 shop owners as clients, and it completely changed the trajectory of my business. And one of the things I found out right away, because I'm always trying to add value, is I found out that what these shops needed more than social media is they needed help finding technicians. So what we did was we used all of our resources and we applied it towards finding technicians. And now with Technician Find, we have developed a 14-step process that helps fill the pipeline of qualified technicians so our shops can hire faster. I've heard some of this story before, and I thought that the angle that you went at this was really cool, right? Because you and I have talked about this and we're trying to find technicians that aren't necessarily looking for us, right? If we're a shop owner, it's not like they're sitting there on the couch, unemployed, looking at monster.com saying, hey, who's hiring? Everyone knows that probably everyone is hiring. And so one of the things that I think is the trickiest part about this is how do you get someone to jump ship, right? Because you're essentially stealing them from another shop, whether you're doing that directly or indirectly. And what do you think that the biggest thing that you see is kind of catching people's attention? Is it the pay? Is it the hours? Is it the culture? Is it the overall professional atmosphere on it? What do you think is really setting people apart to say, you know what, let me give Chris's shop a chance. I think this could be a better option for me. 
That's a great question. And I think this is what most uh, shop owners miss and, and or the people who are writing the ads. And what you've really got to do is you've got to put your, yourself in the shoes of a technician and you've got to think from their perspective. What I see with ads, first of all, is if you go to Indeed and you look through the ads for automotive technician, they all look exactly the same. The headlines are the same. Um, the requirements are the same. It's all exactly the same. And what they're not addressing is they're not address, addressing the most important part. And that's what's in it for me. You know, the old saying goes, we all listen to the radio station, WIIFM. We all know that it is a big undertaking. You've got to convince your spouse. You've got to pick up, you've got to move, you've got to move your toolbox. You've got to, you know, you're going into an unknown quantity. So what is that psychology behind making that move? And I think the main thing is what you're doing is you're inviting technicians into a story where they are the hero and you're showing them what the benefit is of moving because the benefit of moving has to outweigh um, you know, the detriments of staying and all of the uncertainty in between. And the way that you do that is you solve a problem. If a technician is not happy or they are listening to your offer, they have interest and they have problems. The problem may be money. It's typically not. I work exclusively with independent shops. So, you know, and they've always got a dealer in the area that's throwing all kinds of money at them. We have to be more clever in how we position it. A lot of times it may be the culture, but more than anything else, I think what it is, it's listening and it's listening to what the problem is. And then if your shop, it seems like it's a good fit and you have what's missing, then you plug that in and now you've solved a problem and now you've got enough leverage in order to make this make sense. Sales 101 is you're not talking, you're listening, right? Because like you said, if you're having that sales call, if you're having that interview, if you're putting that ad up, they've already somewhat pre-qualified just by the fact that they're taking on that and then they're looking. Obviously, they know that something's wrong. And if you listen to what their pain points are and you can solve those pain points on it, then essentially you've closed the deal or you've hired that person. Now, one of the good points that you mentioned before, and you know, a lot of people have been struggling with this in the past, it was, hey, if you needed people, just throw money at them, be the highest person in town. But realistically, you probably can't, right? You know, there are some dealerships just throwing silly money out there. And I've seen it firsthand. And also a lot of this is, is very hard, right? Especially if you're on a, you know, production based plan or a, a flag rate plan. Do you think that the big driver for a lot of people is money or some of these non-financial aspects of a business? You know, what's getting their attention? Well, in my experience, money's always up there. It's always up there and you have to be competitive. I mean, you can't just be ridiculous, but it's not the number one driver. If you can get close, but you can offer culture that is more conducive. If you are, if you're not treating your employees like a number, that's a big one that I hear a lot is I feel like I'm getting treated like a number. The shops that I find that do the best job of recruiting, they tell a story about how they want a tech's life to work inside and outside of the shop. That I think is the most important part. Hopefully you've worked through this process and you know what you can pay. And you know how close you can get them to where they need to be in terms of pay is concerned. But, you know, the more successful shops that I talk with, they have a conversation like, hey, look, you know what? We can show you how to get to this number. And it's all about, you know, you give yourself a raise because it's all about production and efficiency. Let's have that conversation. We can show you how to get there. Other successful shops say, hey, look, this is what our top guy is making. And let me show you how you can get there. But at the end of the day, I think it's really, is this a culture fit? You always want to make sure they have a certain set of skills because that's just the nature of the position. But is there a culture fit? Because that's what's going to make everything work together because you want to have a team 
and you want them to fit into your team. You know, a lot of people said, but this is really tricky now, right? Because in the past, everyone, all anyone cared about was money. How many hours can I get? What's my hourly rate? How much overtime can I do, et cetera, et cetera. And it feels like that the next generation is really kind of, like you said, money is always important. Anyone that says money doesn't matter to them is lying to a certain degree. Money makes the world go round. They might not personally care about money, but spouse, family members, brothers, sisters, you know, they might say, hey, you know what? I'm so happy that you love your job, Chris, but can't really pay our mortgage when you're working for $6 an hour. Do you see kind of a shift in this, you know, to get the next generation? Is, you know, money secondary to them or kind of what is your thoughts on that? What I see is it is really being part of something special, typically with the millennial generation and younger. What they want is they want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. And they want to feel like they're making a difference. And that's something that I always ask. We have, you know, an hour long onboarding call with new clients and I ask them a bunch of questions and we talk specifically about that because if you're inviting a tech that's in that generation into your story, they want to feel like they are contributing to something that's going to make a difference in the community. And that can look like a bunch of different things. You know, that can look like working with Habitat for Humanity you know, sponsoring a 5K, that can be lots of things. Breaks for Breasts, you know, that wonderful organization that uh, is being run and uh, has been featured. As all of these things are telling a story about how they can come in and be part of something that's bigger than themselves rather than just collecting a check and, you know, punching a clock. At the end of the day, everyone wants to be fulfilled, right? Everyone wants to be satisfied and everyone wants to feel like that they're doing a good thing, you know? And if numbers for your business are the most important thing, which is kind of ironic, you know, based on the name of my podcast, but, you know, as far as the team goes, they don't want to say, oh, you know what? I'm out here fleecing people. I'm out here pencil whipping. I'm out here trying to drive it up. No, what you're trying to do is, hey, you're trying to paint a picture of what you're doing and really what most of the shops that we're working with are trying to do. Hey, we're not fixing cars. We're helping people. We're solving problems. If someone is here listening right now, what do you feel like as far as length on it? Or what do you think really is setting the ads apart, you know, without kind of getting into the nitty gritty details of what you guys really do? Well, one of the things that we do is it all starts from the planning process. You know, that's my financial planner coming back out. If you don't spend the time on the front end, really thinking about what your ideal scene is and who the ideal fit is, you can't write a decent ad. You can't attract the right person because you're not going to say the things that you need to say in order to attract that person. So it all starts with that process. Once you've got that down, you see what makes you different, what makes you unique as a shop. Now you can start with the ad because now you have the benefits. I would say if there's anything that we do with our ads, it's a lot different than other ads is we make it so benefit rich. And I don't mean necessarily you know health benefits and insurance benefits and all that. But we talk specifically to what is important to a technician. And then we put those in an easy to read format and we focus and keep focusing on those benefits. Because again, if you invite technicians into a story where they are the hero and you're the guide, and that's something that you know I picked up from Donald Miller, his excellent work in story brand. And it's so true because it follows direct response copywriting because that's where I've been trained. And if you write an ad that speaks to where a tech is right now, shows them an ideal scene of where they could be, and then invites them into that story, that's what's going to make all the difference. Getting back to the other part of your question, trying to unpack this, the length of ads. It's funny because when I write an ad, I'll send it over for approval because we don't post anything without approval from the shop. And a lot of times I'll say, 
oh my God, Chris, this is so long. <laughs> and I say, well, you know, here's the deal. The deal is you don't know what that one bullet point is that is going to make the difference. You don't know what their pain point is. So what we want to do is we make ads so that they're scannable because the reality of this is nobody reads anything online all the way through the first time. What we do is we scan. We scan for headlines, we scan for bold, we scan for, you know, all caps, we scan for, you know, nice neat paragraphs, we scan. And then when you see enough things in that ad that are interesting, now you'll go back and you'll start from the beginning. And you also have to remember that most of these people are looking at these ads on their phone. You know, this tech may be at their kid's soccer game. They may be in line at the grocery store. I hope they're not driving, but they may be driving. But you have to realize that if somebody's looking at an ad on their phone, you have to make it scannable and you have to make it easily digestible. Length, I would err on the side of having it be too lengthy to make sure that you can tell your story. As much as you love the shop routine that you have now, I'll tell you that switching to a cloud-based shop management system will pay off in more ways than you can imagine. Not only will you let go of bad habits that are costing you money, you'll free up more time for your techs to fix more cars. Your quotes will be quicker and more accurate, and you'll make more money per part than you ever did before. We all know that time is money. When you streamline your day, you waste less time on repetitive brain drains. Start fresh by going to your favorite browser and looking up GetShopware.com. The orange Book a Demo button will set you on a journey for more profit and less stress. You'll never look back. Check it out at GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, the focus is on helping shop owners unlock their full potential by specializing in an expert coaching and marketing program designed for your specific shop. Their mission is to coach the owners to focus on growing their bottom line and building a team culture within their business. At the Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed program, they train the owners and the staff what right looks like, so everyone is on the same page and driving towards a common goal. Their coaching program focuses on all aspects of your business so that the owner can step back from the daily grind and start to work on their business and not in their business. For more information about their programs, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. Do you ever have issues with shops when, you know, you're talking down through this and they're trying to paint a picture on it? And do you find situations where they say, you know what, Chris, we probably need to do some stuff internally to build a culture to be able to broadcast that to everyone, right? Hey, we're doing some good things on here, but really we need to be a little bit more introspective here and really fine tune what we're going on here so that we have the environment that we can really attract top level talent. Absolutely. It's funny. We have lots of questions on the on the onboarding because we're really trying to find out what it is that makes this shop unique. And a lot of the times I'll be going through it, I'll be halfway through and they'll say, wow, there's a lot of stuff that we should be doing, right? <laughs> and I say, well, you know, it, you know, it's up to you. These are the things that I see shops that are really having a successful time in finding help. This is what they're doing. But the other part about this is if you really dive deep into what you're already doing, you can take all of these individual elements of what you're doing in your shop and you can weave them into a story that is unique. You know, I don't always tell people, no, well, you don't need to go out and, you know, start offering, you know, gigantic tool allowances and lots of different things to really be attractive, you know, $10,000 sign-on bonuses or whatever. But what we do need to, to accomplish is we need to find out what you are already doing and then we need to tell a story about what you're already doing 
to weave that into your ideal candidate so that it makes it, you know, it, it makes you unique. So that's the way that we approach it. Yeah, it's a really good point, too, because, you know, a lot of people, if you look at it and you've probably seen this, there's a big disparity, right? I have some shops that never have an issue finding technicians, right? Because they have that culture. Everyone knows about their culture. And it's like, hey, you know what? If there's an opening in Chris's shop, I'm going to take it, right? His reputation precedes himself. And also the same thing on it of, you know, hey, it's great that you can get a new technician in the door. But if you're all smoke and mirrors with this advertisement, right? Chris writes you a really good ad and you get people in the door some point you're going to have to back that up, right? Oh, we have the best culture. We're like family. And you come in there and it's like, man, this is dog eat dog, right? They don't play around here where I see a lot of people, you know, complaining and say, I can't hang on to good people. It's like, is that the people's fault or is that yours? Right. I have people whose average length of employment is forever, right? Hey, when someone comes here, they don't leave versus some people have a revolving door. And I think for a lot of times it's hard for people to have that wake up call being like, you know what? It's not everyone else. This might be me. Have you come across that? I can see you nodding here. Absolutely. We have several clients that we've been working with for a while. And it's almost like as fast as we can find somebody for them, they let them go. (laughs) That's a big part of it. And that's a difficult conversation to have. But I think the reality of this is, you know, there's always going to be some level of looking, of searching. You know, they call it a passive candidate search. You may not be actively interviewing for a position, but you're going to be passively putting it out there. And to your point, if you're passively doing things on social media that show what you're doing for your employees, things like, you know, celebrating birthdays, fixing up the waiting room for holidays, announcing on social media certain milestones, certifications, or other things that uh, are important, anniversaries, those are the types of things that show that you take care of your employees that you care about your employees. It's just passive. It's just out there somewhere. And people see it, especially when you boost things on Facebook. Your entire community will see that and it gets people talking. That's also really important. But one of the the biggest things that I, I see is shops have a hard time selling the dream. That's what we call it. They have a hard time selling their shop to technicians. That happens over and over again. I think the biggest way to overcome that is to ask questions in an honest and sincere way of the technician, find out where their pain points are and see if there's a fit. Because, you know, quite honestly, if it's not a fit, it's not going to work anyway. So you have to make sure, hey, you know, if you're a hard driver and you have a culture that's uh, all about individual achievement versus family orientation or team achievement, you need to be upfront about that in the beginning. And the first thing I always tell every shop when I get on the phone, whether it be the owner or the manager, the first thing I tell them is I say, hey, look, we're going to make your shop look dynamite. We're not going to lie. I always say, what we want to do is if you feel comfortable having a conversation about anything I talk about or any question I ask, then let's err on the side of saying yes, because you feel comfortable having that conversation. If the answer is a flat no, you know, if you're not willing to offer a relocation package, for example, then we say no. We're not going to pad this ad because that's the number one thing. And I heard this over and over again. When I first started, you know, in 2017, I didn't know anything about the industry. I had to be a real quick study. And one of the things I did is I uh, serve on the board of directors now for a, a uh, Automotive 20 group. And I asked each shop in that 20 group if I could talk to two or three of their top technicians and interview them. Is a very short interview. And I asked them a bunch of questions and I asked them, what is it about ads that turn you off for, you know, technicians for hiring? 
what do you like about your job? What do you hate about your job? What do you like about a shop? What do you like about a boss? I asked them a, a series of questions. And the number one thing I heard over and over again uh, with respect to ads was every ad says the same thing. Every ad paints the blue sky and you never know, really know what you're getting into until you go to work for the shop and then the story comes out. Every ad that I write, I think of that tech I was talking with and how he told that story and how so many other techs told a similar story to that. And that's what you absolutely don't want to do. You don't want to bait and switch. So we're talking about getting people in the door. We're talking about, you know, catching people's attention. We got the ads out. We got the right people. We vetted them, you know. So now this technician is coming through the door. What's the biggest mistakes people make in that actual interview? You got this person in here. Now we got to be honest, but how do we close that deal? And that's another area where I really think uh, things happen. Whenever somebody gets ghosted, I think that it's this interview. It's either on the phone or when they actually come in, it's something that they say or didn't say. And I would say the number one thing and, and how I always coach my clients is listen. Your job is to listen. You know, there's that old saying, you have one mouth and two ears and you need to use them in that proportion. When people mess up is when they start talking too much. If you're talking, you're losing in that situation. You need to really make a connection with them. And that's a big part of what I talk about. If, you know, we have a, an entire checklist of things that, that go wrong and troubleshooting for each stage. So if we're not getting enough applications, we know what we need to do. We have a whole series of levers we pull. If we're getting applications that aren't qualified, we have another series of levers we can pull. If we're getting applications from out of the area and so on and so on. One of the things is if they're getting interviews, but those interviews aren't converting, we have a whole series of levers there too. And one of the things that we talk about is what did that conversation look like? Did you find out what their problems are? Did you find out what their pain points are? Why are they looking? I mean, there's a reason why they're sitting in front of you because, you know, we're making the assumption that they're good at what they do and they're already working somewhere. There's a reason why they're sitting in your, <laughs> in your office and there's a reason why they're talking to you. What is that reason? Why are they looking? You need to really get clear about that. And you have to do it not only from the technician's perspective, but you also need to do it from the spouse's perspective as well. Because, you know, this is kind of a, this is a team decision. And I think that's where a lot of it gets missed because, you know, you realize that one of the things that happened, and we see this all the time when we're running ads on social media, what ends up happening is somebody's spouse will see the ad and they're sick of them complaining about. And they say, hey, you need to go talk to these people, right? We hear that all the time, all the time. You have to bring them into it as well. I mean, is it something like they're tired of you working all the weekends? You know, are they tired of you working so late at night? All of these things come in. And if you listen and you ask the right questions, that all comes out. And then now you can bring your shop in as a solution to the problems that the technician is having. And then everybody wins. If somebody has a problem and you're able to help them solve that problem, you win, they win, and then all the customers win because they're happy because you don't have comebacks when, you know, people are, you know, they're charged up and they're fired up and they're doing a good job and everybody's happy and the team's working together. Now, one of the things that I've had a good bit of speaking of technicians of having a great interview and ghosting or just never hearing back is I've had a number of people because this is a very competitive market. So you're trying to steal someone from somewhere else. They don't want that person to leave because they're probably a good person there, right? And if they do want them to leave, then that's a whole nother red flag issue there. One of the issues that I've heard over and over again is Hunt, I had a great technician come in. We met with them. We had dinner with them. We had dinner with their family. They're doing all the right things. 
And I sat down and I gave him a written offer. Here's what's going to be. Here's the benefit package. Here's the pay. We were all good to go. But sure enough, they either told me or I know what happened. They took that written offer back to their current employer. And the current employer said, I'll match that or I'll even do one better for you. Is that just the nature of the beast of what we're dealing with here? Do you recommend people not to give a written offer, only a verbal offer so that they would have to negotiate that? Or or what would your thoughts be on that? This one is tricky. I think of both sides of this. One of the things that I do is uh, I try to find out what the lag time was between um, when they made the offer and when they're starting. And that's a big consideration because if someone says, hey, yeah, I'm going to start in two weeks, it's like, oh, I coach my clients and I say, you know what? Here's the reality of this. The reality of this is every day that goes by between when you've made that offer and when they actually move their toolbox in, the chances of them making the move go down because a lot of things happen. Their current employer will match the offer or, you know, do them one better. Someone else will get in there, you know, a a dealer or somebody else will get in there and get in their ear. There are a lot of different things that happen. So one of the things that you want to do is you want to condense that, that timeframe, if at all possible. You know, we all like to give two weeks notice. We all like to be, you know, decent to our existing employer. One of the things that I've talked about and I've seen shops do is say, Hey, look, I know that you want to give two weeks notice. But you know what? We've got a space all set up for you. We really like to have you come in. If you can start this Monday, we'll give you an extra thousand bucks or whatever it is so that, you know, you give them a little bit of incentive to condense that time lag. The other thing is you want to just keep in touch with them. If you've got two weeks before they start, you don't want to let 48 hours go by without giving them a touch. You want to send them a text. You want to say, hey, you know what? We just cleaned out your spot. It's looking great. Can't wait to see you. You know, hey, just told the team about you. Um, everybody's really excited to meet you going out to coffee with them. I've seen some shop owners, what they'll do is say, Hey, you know, I realize you're not starting until, you know, X date. Hey, let's go grab coffee. You know, I'd like to hang out with you for a little bit. Just tell you, talk about what is going to happen when you come on board. You just want to have a series of touches so that you're always maintaining that uh, connection with them. And then the other thing is it's tough because what ends up happening, and I've heard this a lot too, is techs will go interview because they just want to raise. They have no intention of coming, you know, of jumping ship, but what they want to do is they want to have something solid and tangible in their hands so they can go back and say, Hey, see, you know, this is what I'm worth in the market. You know, I can't say that that's a good or bad thing. I mean, you know, a technician is leveraging their, their skills in the marketplace. You know, I always say that like, Hey, I can't fault them on that. Right. Or you're doing the same thing in your shop. You know, why would we be mad at them for trying to get paid what they're worth? Right. Absolutely. What I usually end up doing is uh, I end up coaching them to have that conversation. You know, again, we've talked a little bit on this call about, you know, sales. Well, handling objections in advance is one of the key components of a good salesperson. If you know that that shop is going to say, okay, if you stay, we'll, you know, we'll bump up your hourly and then we'll also give you a $5,000 bonus to stay. If you know that that's going to happen, why don't you let them know that? Why don't you say, hey, you know what? We've made an offer. You shake hands and then you say, you know, we've made an offer. I think you're going to be really happy here. We are are going to take care of this, this, and this that you told me is important to you. So you anchor that in. And then you say, you know, I'm counting on you to to honor your word. And I can tell you what's probably going to happen is they're probably going to match the offer. They're probably going to throw a lot of stuff at you. My question to you is, where was all this money last week, last month, you know, last year? Where was all this money? It took you threatening them in order to pay you what you're worth. 
is that really the type of environment that you want to stay in? And then, you know, whatever they say is whatever they say, but now you've anchored in something else. You've anchored in, hey, look, they haven't been treating me well the whole way through. And we need to, I need to go somewhere where they're going to treat me well. Sometimes they might be shocked by it, but saying, hey, I know if you go back and you tell your boss you're gone, they're going to say, what are they paying you? Can I match it? Just be upfront with them and say, hey, if they come back and they match this is, you know, would that change your decision on leaving? Well, you know, maybe. And, and that's where you kind of get into, well, do you want to really work for somewhere that you have to kind of force their hand to get this right? You kind of have to put them into a corner before that they pay you what you're worth you know, go back into what your culture is, right? Hey, we don't ever have to do that, right? We have annual reviews of this. We have an open door policy. If you don't feel like that you're getting paid fairly, then I want to know about it so that we can fix it. But I think you also made a good point there too of some of this stuff is, hey, you did all the right things. Like, you know, the guy was just a very smooth talker and you got used, right? It's going to happen sometimes. I mean, let's be realistic. A lot of people out there, you know, stick by their word and their word means a lot. There's a lot of people that will just come in there and say, oh, I hate this. They know exactly what they're going to do. They got that piece of paper. They're taking it back to boss and saying, hey, here it is or I'm gone. But I also love the idea of maintaining connection, right? Because so many of them that fall through, it's like, hey, I had this guy. He was going to start here on November 1st. And then, you know, November 1st came and went. I never heard anything. But I'm thinking now in the back of my head, well, did you shake hands today and say, well, hey, we'll see you in three weeks and never, you know, heard from the guy? Like you said, it doesn't work because, you know, are their friends getting in the ear? Is their boss getting in their ears and their coworkers getting in the ear? Unless you're kind of in the other ear of like, hey, man, we're super excited. Like, I think this is going to be awesome for you. You know, I can't wait for you to start, you know, so that you can kind of be the angel and devil on both shoulders here to make sure that they know that, you know, you're cared for. You're not just a number. Imagine thinking or, or selling this to someone of you're not just a number, you're part of the family. And then you just ghost them for three weeks, right? You're just as much to blame as they are. Yeah. And you know, the thing about this is um, after every sale, it's just a psychological thing. When we buy something, we all have this little bit of doubt right after the sale, right? Good salespeople, what they'll do is they'll follow up. They'll say, hey, you made a great decision. We're really looking forward to coming over here. We think you're going to fit right into the culture, something like that, just to anchor in the reasons why they made the decision. Because what happens is you get back into your old environment it's okay. You know, and it's like, you don't remember what made you angry. And when we see a lot of activity on ads is Friday afternoons, Saturday, and then Sunday afternoons, we see a lot of activity on ads. Why is that? Well, it's be Friday. You just got finished with a week that really it stank. You know, you just, you got this week was horrible and you're remembering and you're, you know, you just want to get out of there. And then Sunday is when you're thinking about going in and having another week. You can tell there's a psychological piece to all this, but what we as human beings do is we kind of, we forget about, uh, you know, oh, it's not so bad. I can hang out here for a little while longer and ah, I don't want to move my toolbox and, ah, you know, I don't want to start over again with a new group of people and a new set of problems. And you have to make sure that you anchor in and remind them why they made the decision at that moment. And you keep reminding them of that, that it stays top of mind for when people do get in their ear when they do get another offer, all these things. So it's really critical. Yeah. And also it's like, hey, this is when you're trying to put your best foot forward, right? Hey, this is when you're really trying to show off for them before they've even come on. So, and one of the other things that you said too, that kind of is, you know, contrary to my thinking, I think to my own business is whenever someone says, hey, I want to give two weeks, I always kind of think, you know what, that's really cool because, you know, that means that they care about their employer and they don't want to leave them in a bad spot. It's a very fine line because you're like, hey, it's an admirable thing to do, 
But just like you said, the longer this goes, the less and less chance they have to actually show up. People don't like change, even if they know it's going to be a good thing. They're like, I know what I have. I think this will be good, but I just don't want to rock the boat. You know, it's a lot easier for me to just show up on Monday than it is for me to coordinate, you know, getting my toolbox out of here, quitting, getting a new payroll, learning their new system, all that. It's the friction, right? It's why Amazon is so popular because they say, hey, I want a toothbrush. Two clicks, they're going to drop it at my door tomorrow morning or probably even this afternoon, right? They've taken all of the friction out of it and hiring people and attracting talent's no different, right? Make it an easy thing for them. Make it a win-win, a no-brainer, and you're really going to hopefully succeed here. So, you know, I love all this stuff. You're saying all the right things. You're doing all the right things, obviously. Um, like I said, I have a number of clients that use you and have said good things about you. How does someone get in touch with you? You know, how is the best place to start? Is this something where they should start with you when they know that they need to get help? Or is this something that people are doing perpetually? The service that we offer is something when uh, shops really need help. We're out there and we're really actively pursuing candidates. So, you know, at the core of that 14-step process is writing the compelling ad. So it's unique, compelling ads, creative ads. and then. Another component of that is to make sure that we're promoting those on social media. Something magical happens when you are promoting on social media to 30, 40, 50,000 people. All sorts of things start to happen. You get resumes dropped off just you know out of the blue and things happen when that many people see it. And then the other part is direct outreach. So that's kind of overkill if you're fully staffed. But what I do is I have conversations about, hey, how can you do some um, passive candidate searches? How can you actively promote your page? So if you'd like to talk about that, you can always fill out the contact form on the website. It's technicianfind.com, or you can email me directly at chris at technicianfind.com. And we put out a lot of video trainings too. So you can find us on uh, YouTube. We have a private Facebook group for shop owners that's at uh, Technician Find. And what I found is that if I can educate my clients, they can get better results. We do a lot of work, a lot of the heavy lifting, but if our clients can get educated about how we work and how to make things smooth and, you know, to borrow your term, which is perfect, uh, to remove the friction, then that's why we do training. We, um, have office hours twice a month live and, uh, we put a lot of our training on YouTube and on the Facebook group. You're doing the right things here, right? You're filling a gap that is severely needed in this industry. And, you know, also the thing is, hey, if you want to be the top shop, you want to attract to top talent, you have to do the things that the top shops are doing to steal that talent from you. So just want to thank you again for having on here, Chris. And uh, any final words, any biggest piece of advice that you give out to a shop owner right now struggling to find help? Be authentic and sit down with your leadership team. If that leadership team is just you, sit down with a white pad or a, a legal pad, write down everything about your shop and write an ad with the ideal scene and that ideal technician in your mind. And once you visualize it, you can create it. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure uh, sitting here with you, Hunt, and, and, and adding some value for your listeners. Awesome, Chris. I appreciate it. And um, I'll put a link to his website, link to that Facebook page, and also his email address here in the show notes as well. Just want to say thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listing app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe and I'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. 
follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.